So as we consider today why we're here, I hope part of that answer includes so that we may listen. Listen to what God may be saying to us as a community and as individuals through the words of this passage and the ways in which we proclaim it in music and in preaching and in our sacraments today. Uh, We will today hear from Peter as he shares a vision that he had that may just change how we see our place in this world. So please listen. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? And then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. And as I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And then everything was pulled up again to heaven. And at that very moment, at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. And the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you the message by which you and your entire household will be saved. You just got a couple extra bonus verses. (laughs) These are through the Spirit and our hearing. The words of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, I pray that you'll speak through me and when and where necessary in spite of me. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, in the time that I have with you all, I'd like to preach and teach on a sermon entitled, Who Was I That I Could Hinder God? Who Was I That I Could Hinder God? Seven years ago, on this date, I was graduating from a place built by slaves and never intended to be a place where their descendants would be educated. A place built for white men to go to learn to serve white churches. I graduated from this place where neglect of the psychic terror on those on the margins was palpable in classrooms and lunch tables. 
I went to this place to serve a denomination that had only reunified northern and southern churches here in the United States the year before I was born. After a split from the 1860s regarding whether I would stay three-fifths of a person or one day be free to be fully seen and fully human. I went to this place to learn to be a minister in a denomination that had and would leave me with bruises, questioning my call and whether I belonged in all these places and spaces that were systematically built on legacies that excluded people who were born this way. What is the Atlantic slave trade and chattel slavery of black bodies that it could hinder God? What is the legacy of the oppression on the bodies and souls of those on the margins that it could hinder God? What are the hoops of the decently and in order denomination that they could hinder God? Who am I to hinder God? The institutional harm, the pressure to assimilate in order to have a sliver of success in what I felt called to do, to minister, to teach, to break bread, to serve, to collaborate with God in the redemption of the world, can have your voice and vocation nearly muted as you fight to sing the songs of Zion in lands that seem forever strange and sometimes offer only the illusion of acceptance. Who am I to hinder God? Too often we fall into the trap that being faithful is about us and them, rather than being about co-collaborating in the redemption of the world by a God who allowed Jesus to be persuaded about his own mission by a woman kept on the outside who fought for table scraps, by a God who came to a stubborn rule-abiding church planter and allowed the conversion of an outsider to coincide with his own conversion. Who am I to hinder God? You see, God's vision is not about who is in and who is out, but about an unstoppable God who changes her mind and welcomes all. God's vision is about repentance, acceptance, and a break with the regulations and systems who exclude those who are not like us. God's vision, God's salvation, proclaims among the swamp of hate and division that bogs us down, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is big and wide enough for the whole world, and no physical marking, no dietary restrictions are going to preclude those once kept at bay from the banquet feasts. Who am I to hinder God? Like the early church in Acts, the modern church today often try to define who are Jesus' beloved through divisions. For the early Jewish Christians, it was adherence to the purity codes of ancient Israel that were, be, that were to be upheld no matter what. We eat this and not that. We do not dine with the unclean. And for the church of this millennium, we separate people based on who we vote for, what version of the news we believe is fact. We separate based on whether you worship in silence or with hands raised and feet stomping. We separate based on zip codes and test scores. The history of the church that chooses to divide and conquer with our privileges and preferences is long. It is indeed very long. This us and them mentality is so seemingly innate to our faith, we don't pause like Peter enough to ask, who am I 
that I should hinder God. This morning's retelling of the conversion of Cornelius, who is not only a Gentile, but an officer of the Roman state, a state that has engaged in state-sanctioned tactics of division, is about how the conversion of Cornelius converts Peter, the rock on whom the church is built, and thus changes the church forever. We learn three things from Peter, three things about being active participants in God's unfathomable, unstoppable redemption and love of the world. Peter is intimate with God's story in the past. Peter has a story with God in the now. And Peter moves out of the way for God's future story to unfold. First, Peter knows the story of God well. His vision, his conversion happens because he remembered the words of the Lord. Peter recalls the words of John the Baptist. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Peter is so knowledgeable about the stories of God in the past and the scriptures of old that they start to churn in his very soul. If this is true about about God's activity in the past, then this must be true of God's activity now. To the confirmands to my right and to those gathered here, we must learn the story of God in the past. Don't just read the Bible. Read it again and again. Read it alone. Read it together. Read it inside and outside. Pray through it. Eat it. Digest it. Let it give you strength. Do something akin to what Eugene Peterson describes. But sooner or later, we find that not everything is to our liking in this book. It starts out sweet to our taste, and then we find it doesn't sit well with us at all. It becomes bitter in our stomach. Finding ourselves in this book is most pleasant, flattering, in this book is most pleasant, flattering even, and then we find that the book is not written to flatter us, but to involve us in a reality. God's reality that doesn't cater to our fantasies of ourselves. Second, tell your story with God. Peter does not change minds with an argument. He does not answer his critics with rhetoric or a theological treatise. Arguments don't change people. Stories change people. Peter tells his story with the God of now. He tells a story of where he was, a story about a rule following and strict adherence to the law. He tells a story about a vision. He tells a story about his response that he is observant and cannot change the years of understanding what is pure and clean. He tells a story of hearing the voice of God. Let me be clear, he tells a story of hearing the voice of God three times. He tells the story of how he moved from us and them to us all. He tells the story of how preaching and baptizing and eating with a Gentile led to his own conversion. So tell your story. Look for what God might be up to in your life. Hannah, Catherine, and Max told you to stay awake. God just might be doing something in your early morning crew practices. Christy, August, Beth, God just might be doing something in your love of singing and performing arts. Ava and Louisa, God just might be doing something in your willingness to serve. 
And Timothy, God just might be doing something in your love of fantasy. So look for what God is doing in your life and tell the story. Maybe God is changing your heart and mind. Maybe God is making room for something or someone. Maybe God is pruning and plucking. Maybe God is calling you towards something or away from something. But whatever God is doing in your life, tell the story. Third, third, Peter moves out of the way. Peter's adherence to the law, Peter's own opinions of why and who he should eat with are obsolete because God is on a mission. Who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Move out of the way. God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Last Friday, I had church. Now, having church is a saying familiar in the black church context when the stirrings of the spirit are palpable and the worship seems to be specifically directed at the worshiper. Now, I didn't attend church on a Friday. I simply went to a graduation. It was the best graduation I've ever attended. And as the youngest child and a graduate myself, and going to preschool graduations and kindergarten graduations and high school graduations of youth, I have been to a lot of graduations. And this was the best graduation I've ever attended. Speaker after speaker told stories of hardship, of overcoming obstacles, of how that institution had taken a chance on them. And having read that story earlier that week, as each speaker spoke, first a man with severe medical issues and frequent hospitalizations, then a formerly incarcerated and recovering addict, and a woman who had received a .8 GPA as an undergrad when following the suicide of her partner. As they told of the fences they jumped to pursue social work, that question of Peter's, who am I that I could hinder God, stuck with me. I paraphrase the words of the recent master of social work, Reggie Wilson, as I charge these nine youth who will very soon take vows in front of you to join the church. And I also charge you with these very words. Friends, I hearten you to show the people who you help that there is another side of life. I want us to show the mistreated honor, the forgotten favor, the disrespected respect, the sneered at cheer, the stepped on elevation, the vilified praise, the hurt hope, the frowned at smiles, the forsaken cherishment, the deprived nourishment, and the tortured comfort. We can do this. We must do this. We must be there. We are God's beloved. We are God's beloved. We are God's beloved. Know the story of God in the past. Tell the story of God in the present. Move out of the way of God's future story. Let nothing hinder God. Not your age, not your accent, not your gifts or abilities, not your gender, not your sexual identity, not your politics, not your ethnicity, not your tax bracket, not which AP classes you choose to take or not take, not your test scores, not your friends, not even the very church. Who was I that I could hinder God? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.